Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So this series messy. So the reason Asher gets credit for this is because I was struggling with what to preach on. And so I, I knew I had a couple of weeks coming up where I had to transition from my finance series. And Dean did a great job. Thank you for filling in last week and uh, taking it. Um, and then we went from that to in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing the Feast of Israel. And so I had this two Sunday like window, and I'm like, ah, I did all, doing all this research, just going in circles, and it was driving me crazy. You guys, you know, my process is very messy when I when I do a series. I just take a lot of information and I just kind of word vomit all over a page, and then I, like, you know, I just kind of work it out over time. And I was just word vomiting nothing on the page, and it was like nothing was coming. And I would spend all this time researching. So I sat down with Asher. We were coming back from somewhere, and we were at Sawdust because that's where I do most of my sermon prep. And so it's like the sermony place for me, I guess. And I was like, I said. Ash, what do you think I should preach on? Like, this is, this is where I was. This is where I was. I was like, what do you think I should preach on, honey? And she's like, well, she said, maybe you should talk about, like, how to talk about difficult topics or subjects in church. And I was like, that is gold. <laughs> and it was like immediately I saw, like, I saw both Sundays. I saw where I would be. It was like everything just kind of was like, right away for me. And so I say that to let you know that, um, you know, the, the spirit moves in funny ways, one. But I'm not doing this series because there's some underlying conflict or controversy in our church right now. So I don't want everybody being like, is he talking about me right now? Like, what's this all about, Pastor Kyle? You're just going to create messages around me? No. Um, But if you do need to be convicted by this, then go ahead, by all means. Go ahead and be convicted by it. Um, but it was an idea, though, because Asher and I talk a lot, you know, with our kids. We try to help them understand the world at large and what's going on. We talk about difficult subjects with them a lot. And so she said, you know, there is so much going on. Like, how do we, how do we handle that? So I'm not going to handle particular topics, but it's bigger question is how do we handle those bigger, tougher topics in church? Because here's a spoiler alert for everybody. People are messy and difficult. And I'm looking at a bunch of them right now. And I can't see you online, but you are too, right? And so am I. I'm not excluded from that in any way, shape, or form. I can be messy, and I'm not talking about just leaving stuff laying around. I'm talking about the, my past, my perception of reality sometimes, my baggage that I have, my scars, my woundedness. All that kind of stuff is what I bring to the table as a human being, and that can make things difficult, unfortunately. Another secret that you may not know. The church and or Christianity is made up of messy people. Yes. So here's the thing to think about with conflict and controversy in the church and why it's messy. Because we are going to come up the stairs. We are going to go to a small group. We are going to go to an outreach event in our community. And we're going to bring all of our baggage with us. We're going to bring the the scars that maybe we have from our childhood or from other religious people or churches. We're going to have our own political views. We're going to have all this stuff that we bring to the table. And then what we say as a church is, hey, let's gather and grow in our relationship with Jesus together. Yay. (laughs) 
you know? And it's just like, oh, there's this potential for conflict and controversy. Because, in again, in the midst of believers getting together, you also have, every time a group of believers gets together, there's going to be people that are believers, but they're living in sin. And so they are, in, they are living a lifestyle that is contrary to what God says. So now you're going to have spiritual conflict. And you're also going to have people that aren't even believers, right? We've got people here today. We've got people watching that don't know Christ yet. And then they're going to come into that conversation. They're going to come into that environment. And they're going to bring with them their own perception of life and their own views, conflict and controversy. Now, what I see in this world is that is a recipe for disaster if you're outside in the world, right? Just look at social media, look at the news, look at conversations that happen anywhere. And if you have diversity of opinion, especially strong ones, you have a recipe for disaster and hatred and toxicity and gossip. Now, here's the thing I want us to think about for this morning is that this has got to be different. If you know Christ today as your savior, then you need to know that there's a different way of doing this stuff. You also really need to be aware that people are watching how we do this so that there are lots of people, young and old, but especially young, who want nothing to do with organized religion. They want nothing to do with church or Christianity because they've watched, watched Christians be crazy toxic and just devour one another in the most hateful and angry ways. They've seen us take our mess outside into town and just spray it all over the place in the worst possible ways. And people are just walking around just wounded and hurt and scarred because of things they experienced in church. And the rest of the world, everyone, is watching us do this. Because in the world, they get enough of that, right? I'm a part of a team right now and in town doing some stuff. And there's some serious controversy going on right now over one of the letters of the alphabet. And this is causing real strife in this group to the point where it's like explicit is being thrown out. And, oh, my gosh, do you hate me? And I'm like, this is one letter of the alphabet. It's literally like this big. And what are we doing? And I'm watching how most of the time we handle controversy and conflict. And if as a follower of Jesus, you feed into that, you are not being like Jesus Christ. You are not listening to the one that you call your savior, right? This whole thing. The reason we celebrate this is to say publicly, he is my savior. And there's a better way. There's a different way to do this stuff. And so I wanted to give that little intro just to help us think where we're going. Not because there's some controversy I want to handle, but because inevitably in a group of people, as our church grows spiritually and numerically, inevitably there is going to be conflict and controversy. So let's talk about it when we're in a good place so that I don't have to have some awkward sermon series later on where I don't get to give that disclaimer. There's nothing going on. I have to be like, no, we're a mess right now. So I'm going to go ahead and preach this sermon, right? That's not where I want to be preaching from. It's not always a fun place, right? But at our church, what I see, though, is that we are a group of people that, yes, we're messy because we have our issues. We have our things. We have our problems. But here's what I also see, and I want to share this in light of where we're going today. I also see a church where I'm watching people take serious steps to grow their faith in relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm watching that affect their whole families. And I'm watching that affect friends that they come with or they've invited. I'm watching people get baptized. We're lighting candles. God is actively growing his kingdom. He is bringing people in a place of hope. I'm watching people struggle with sin and addiction, and yet 
they're finding hope and they're finding a way out of that sin and addiction. They're finding connection in people because people here are following Jesus Christ and it's making a difference in other people's lives. It's not just about Pastor Kyle or other leaders. It's about the body being the body and I get to watch all that happen and I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. But I also know there's always the potential, always the potential for conflict and controversy. And so in light of that, we just want to talk about it ahead of time to think about it. Because this year, our theme for this year is gospel in real life. So how can, how can I as a pastor, how can we as a church take scripture and show us how it applies to, changes, and then ultimately blesses our lives? Right? That's why God gave us his word, so that we would see blessing through that, through following him and listening to the words of Christ. And so this is a part of that as well. This series is also a part of our vision and our mission as a church. So our vision, we have plastered all over the place. It's getting harder and harder and harder not to know at least a little part of our vision. Worship, connect, and serve. Paul eloquently talked to us about it in his video. Nailed it. And so worship, connect, and serve. So what does that mean? As a church, our better tomorrow, our future, is that we want to cultivate an atmosphere here where you personally, in your own life, do something that reflects in what happens in everything that we do here. So what does that mean? Well, that means that we want to be an authentic home for the hope of Jesus Christ through exceptional, spirit-led worship, connection, and service to our surrounding communities. That's who we want to be. That's our better future that we're driving toward. Now, when I say exceptional spirit-led worship, connection, and service, I'm not talking about emotionally driven. I'm not talking about putting on concerts every Sunday. I'm not talking about the amazing and miraculous happening every time we're together. I'm not, because some people think that that's what that means. I'm talking about an authenticity in my life that says I'm going to follow Jesus Christ and I'm going to do it as well as I can. I'm going to do it exceptionally well. Maybe not perfect, because I can't be perfect. But man, with everything in me, I'm going to follow Jesus. And worship, connect, and serve. Worship, we, we put on banners over there so we wouldn't forget. Worship means focusing your life on the life giver. It doesn't mean awesome songs on Sunday. Although, we got some awesome songs on Sunday. Thanks, honey. But it means focusing your life at all times. Whether you're cleaning toilets or singing songs, it's focusing your life on the life giver. Connection, to our point today for Messy, is that you're stepping into those messy places where God is at work. That's what connect means. And then serve is giving hands and feet to your faith in Christ. We do not have a faith just of belief. We have one that says, I live a certain way because of what I believe. That's what Christianity is. My life looks different and blesses others because more and more and more, I'm getting to know Jesus Christ and it's changing my life. And that is our mission. Our better tomorrow, worship, connect, and serve. How do we get there? Well, day to day, our mission is to love God, love people, and help them start and grow a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we do day to day. And it's what I'll always push you to do. Take next steps in your faith. Find out how you can grow. Go further down the pyramid so you can invest in more people because that's what Christ expects of us. So messy, this series is really just tied into all that. Everything we do, we're always going to talk about how does this series tie into who we are and what we're doing here. This is helping you start and grow your relationship with Jesus Christ in a very difficult area of our lives. So that's where we're going to be in this series. And then our question, because I like, I like to have questions if you haven't noticed. I like to just have something that we think about the whole time as we go through a series. And so for the next couple of weeks, this, the question I want you to make super personal is this. As a follower of Jesus, how should I handle conflict and controversy in church? Not somebody else. So today as we're talking, I don't want you to be like, I hope they're listening. <laughs> I hope they're listening. I'm going to send this to them right after church. You know, 
I want you to make it personal. How should you handle conflict and controversy in church? Because when we don't do this well, churches split. People walk away from their faith. And it's totally avoidable. And it's not Christ-like at all when that kind of stuff happens. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is how can I handle conflict and controversy in the church? And two ways we'll look at today are humility and community. So first and foremost, humility and community. Next Sunday, we're going to keep the series really simple. Next Sunday is mercy. Humility and community today. Next Sunday is mercy. So we're going to be in Matthew 18 to do this for both Sundays because Jesus talks a lot about this topic in Matthew 18. And again, we're going to try to make this super practical, super livable, because I think that's really what God intends with his word is to us to know him better, but then also be able to do something with the words that he's given us. So here's my question for you, and I'll put it out to you guys. And you can just, if you have a, a response, you can go ahead and yell it out. What's the very first thing you think we should do if you've got an issue with somebody in the church? Okay, I got kind of like a little uncertain answers from all over the place here. I'm not really sure. But I heard, yeah, I heard pray. I heard talk to him. I heard some different things. Uh, yes. So here, here's what's really, really important to think first. And this, this will keep you out of a lot of trouble. Think about it just with your spouse or somebody close to you. The first thing you should do if somebody sins against you, because that's the context for this morning, the first thing you should do is do a heart check. The very first thing before words ever come out of your mouth is you need to check where your heart is. Okay, am I hurt by what they did because of my own perception of reality, because of my own hurt? Is this real or is this just feel real? Because our feelings lie to us, right? So that's the first question to say, okay, do I want to address this with them because I want to make them look stupid? Because I want to make them feel bad. Because I want other people to know that they've hurt me. Right? These are good questions to ask so that later on you don't have to come back and be like, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, you know how I am. I, I don't always mean what I say. That, don't say that. That's not honesty. That's not integrity. You said it because you meant it. And that's why it hurt the person so much. So to just be like, oh, you know how I am. I don't mean everything I say. Well, then why'd you say it? Right? Why did you say it then? So then, that's why having a heart check first, and where it's difficult is two places. When you feel super passionate about something, or you've been wounded, and you're reacting. So to stop in the middle of that and be like, all right, Lord, I need to check my heart real quick. I need to approach this with humility first, and then I can begin the process of letting them know what happened. So first and foremost, Jesus gives us this framework in 18, uh, Matthew 18, and he starts with this picture of talking with his disciples. And then he's going to take that principle and he's going to apply it to how do you handle when somebody has sinned against you? There is a way to do this. It's not necessarily easy and it gets awkward as it goes on further, but there's a way to do this. So first and foremost, Matthew 18, verse 1. And the CSB is where I'll be this morning. So the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, these are Jesus' disciples, right? And they're still confused about who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They don't understand the, the structure at all. Even though Jesus has been talking about, like what we read this morning, this an inverted pyramid of leadership, right? That you are going to be at the bottom. You're going to be a servant of all. But to, to their defense, they have been hearing mixed messages they feel about the kingdom. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if you preach this gospel, if you preach these words, you're greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He calls John the Baptist the greatest potter was. So it's like, is there some kind of pecking order? Right? And then he chooses Peter. Matthew 16, two chapters previous to this. He tells Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. So it's like, okay, so Peter number one now? Like, what does that mean, Jesus? And then he takes 
Peter, James, and John up on this mountain, and he lets them see this transfiguration and, like, see him as he truly is, you know, and it's like this really crazy experience. So, again, is there some kind of, like, pecking order to the kingdom of heaven? Even though Jesus is constantly saying it's about humility, it's about service, it's not about you, it's about God, they are a little confused as to what the order is in this kingdom. So to answer this question, which I think is legit, given that they're confused and they don't quite understand everything yet, and they're very worldly, right? They understand how the world works. He's going to do something that is very, very tangible. So he grabs this kid, his child, in verse 2, and he brings the child over, and he says this to them. So he says, verse 3, I guess, Truly I tell you, unless you turn or change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So little kids, obviously we had a bunch of little kids over here this morning, right? They are totally dependent on parents or adults at least, right? They, they cannot provide for themselves. So Jesus is saying, it's not a matter of like mindset. It's just, this is who you are. You as a follower of mine, you need to realize that my grace is literally sufficient for you. What I did on the cross through my death, burial and resurrection literally is good enough for eternity for you. And it's literally good enough for you in this life. It's a place of like total humility and just total dependence on God to say everything I have is from you. And so if you want to get into conflict and controversy, understanding that you yourself are also totally dependent on God, that you're not better than anybody else, but that you need to make yourself like this little child. And if you don't, to address the who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, if you think it's under your own merit, if you think you're that awesome, well, Lord, I know I'm great, but just tell me how great I am, right? If you have that mindset, he's saying you're in danger of even getting to heaven. But that mindset, that mindset says, I don't really need you, Lord. It's just, I'm great, and you're adding to my greatness. And he's like, no, no, this has to be like a total dependence thing. That's what our relationship is like. It's like child and adult kind of, kind of a relationship. And so he says, start there with your heart. And then in verse 4, he follows up by saying this. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So you need to start from a position of humility as he's about to go from this conversation later into these other conversations. It's just total humility. And that's such a great starting point. So again, our, our two points for this morning, humility, we're going to take that one and we're going to add it to community. So if somebody does something to hurt you specifically, this is what we're talking about this morning. So we're not, there's lots of other scenarios and I know our minds might go all over the place. Like, well, what if somebody's just, you know, I know they're living in sin. Like, you know, what do I do with that? Or what if somebody needs help? Or what if I need help and I don't know how to say it to somebody? Should I go get others? Like, We'll address all that as, as we go. But here's what Jesus wants us to hear about how to handle an issue with another follower of Christ. So this could be, as a reminder, your spouse, could be your parents, could be your kids, could be a coworker, like is any other follower of Christ in your life. How should you handle that? But especially, though, to, to this morning's point is in a local body of believers. How do you handle it when it happens in a church? That's what Jesus is going to get at here for us. So step one, if someone sins against you in a local body, if your brother, he says in 15a, or another Christian, sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. So this fellow Christian has sinned against who? Yes, this is personal. So if your brother sins against you, what are we then to do? Go tell him his fault between you 
in him alone. So there's an honesty, there's an integrity here, there's a respect of fellow Christians here. There is no room, and let me like say this clearly, there is no room to say, well, I just don't like conflict. Because Jesus would be like, I don't care. This isn't about you being comfortable. This isn't about you just like, ah, oh, I don't like that. And I understand some people absolutely are terrified of conflict, but Jesus says you've got to grow beyond that. Because people that hate conflict and never say anything, those people end up being crazy bitter. Those people end up being crazy wounded. Those people end up being super-duper victims because they just keep burying and stuffing, and everything that happens in their life is just like, yep, here's this happening again. And they just got woundedness that they never, ever grow from because they never, ever tell anybody. I see it happen in spousal relationships. I see it happen in parent-kid relationships. I see it happen in friends. I see it in church. Something happens, nothing is said, and it just gets added to it. And Jesus is like, that's not the healthy way to do that. You need to go to that person, and you need to do it with who? All of your friends that support you? No! You need to go to that person alone. Why? Because Jesus says, this should stay this big. Step number one in conflict and controversy in the church is that it needs to stay this big between that person and the person that sinned against them. Now, obviously there's going to be nuances to this. Like, what if this is a major wound? What if something, like, seriously bad happened? Then, obviously, that's something that needs to get scaled up pretty quickly, and you need to get other people involved if it's, like, a safety thing, obviously. Or you could say, I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to even put this into words. Can you, can you, you go, can I go get some counsel? Can I talk to somebody at least and just try to find the right words? Yeah, absolutely. But it's not somebody that you can gossip with. It's another mature believer that you can say, I just don't know how to address this. Can you help me? Then you go and do it alone. Or maybe, maybe, maybe if it's a really tense situation, can you please just come with me and just, and help me? Cause I just, I got to go and do this myself, but I just need somebody there to help me. Cause I've seen that be useful too. Like, I just don't know how to do this. And I feel like my thoughts are going to get all over the place. I just need somebody there to help keep me on track. But why do we do that though? Why do we do it that way? Because again, it's about respect. It's about keeping drama very small because Jesus cares about his people. He cares about us and he doesn't want this division and like unhealthiness and toxicity just exploding in and among his church over things that don't need to do that. But that's what we see a lot. We see people go right past this one. They blow right past this one. But what Jesus is probably referring to here is a verse that maybe we're familiar with, and it actually comes from Leviticus 19 in the Old Testament. So this is 1,500 years before Jesus in the Old Testament law. It says, do not harbor hatred against your brother or your fellow Israelite at this time. Rebuke your neighbor, what? Directly. And you will not incur guilt because of him. So if you go gossip, if you go get other people involved, if you mount up a posse against that person, what are you doing? You're incurring guilt. You're not doing it the right way. Old Testament, New Testament, when these things happen, you need to be direct. You don't need to be a jerk about it, but you need to be direct about it. That's the healthy way to do this. And he goes on to the part that we probably know. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, Old Testament Israel. But what? Love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. So love your neighbor as yourself. We often hear that. We often know it. It comes from Leviticus 19. Jesus quotes it in the New Testament several different ways. But that verse is born out of hurt. It's born out of something bad has happened to you. And then how do you react to that? How do you handle when something bad has happened to you by another member of the community of God? You need to go directly to them 
and you need to handle it with that person because the point is loving your neighbor as yourself. It's still a love ethic, even in the Old Testament. It's still about restoration. It's still about drawing people back because that's where Jesus goes. If we go back to Matthew 18, the point of going to that person directly is that if he listens to you, your fellow believer, fellow Christian, you have won your brother. So what Jesus says is the purpose of this direct conflict, this direct dealing with this problem, is that you want to restore the relationship. So I want to put that up at the top of everything else that we'll cover for the next few minutes, is that Jesus is saying you need to do this stuff ultimately so this person can be restored. It's about relationship. It's not about wounding people or casting people out. Ultimately, it's about how can we, this person has sinned, but how can we ultimately bring them back into a place of repentance where they actually for, you know, seek forgiveness for what they did and that the relationship can be restored. But we often blow past all the first steps of Jesus and go right toward the later ones. Because step two is this. After you've gone directly to the person, but if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. From Deuteronomy 19. Again, Jesus quoting the Old Testament law here. So if we do it this way, again, who should we grab? People that agree with me and are my best friends? Because that's kind of what happens. We want people that are on our side, that are sympathetic toward us, and we want them to come so we can mob the person that's done us wrong. But who we need to go and grab, and this is where, again, Quaybaw Church, for us, this is where it has to be different. You go and grab people to help you with this conversation, because clearly the person doesn't want to hear it. You go grab people who are spiritually mature, who have both your interests in mind, who are mature enough to say, the end of this process needs to be restoration of this relationship. It does need to be repentant, uh, like of whatever sin was committed, but ultimately we need to see this relationship restored. So there needs to be maturity and discernment that's a part of that. It's not just people that hate this other person so that you can win the argument. It's restoration. It's bringing maturity and Christ-likeness into this situation. And again, the, the way that we can blow by these things is why we see so much hurt. Because I see it all the time. People have an issue with somebody and they go to somebody else about it instead or they go to two or three other people before they ever go to that person. Then they end up finally going to that person after the gossip has already started to spread. And then the other person's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I didn't even realize I said that to you. I didn't realize I looked at you that way. That man, man, that breaks my heart that I, that you felt that way about me. Now what's happened? Well, now it's really awkward because it's like, oh, whoops, you didn't even mean that. And I've been bad mouthing you to all my friends. So now my friends hate your guts and think you're a jerk. Now you got to go back to your friends and be like, oh, actually, I was totally wrong. I'm an idiot, which most of us aren't doing, right? We're just like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Oh, wow, misunderstanding, my bad. Meanwhile, everybody hates you. Sorry. <laughs> That's not Christ-like, but it's what happens because we don't do it like disciples of Jesus should do it. If we're growing in my relationship or if I'm growing in my relationship, I should want to do more and more what Jesus says. And this is what he said is going to protect us from this kind of toxicity. This will protect us, right? It's not foolproof because people are still people and going to do what they're going to do. But how can we do this like Christ would have us to do it? So then step three. So now we're going to ratchet things up. If he doesn't pay attention to them, now you're going to tell the church. And so this is where things start to get awkward, right? This is the point where it's like, okay, 
I've tried personal interaction. I've tried to bring some discerning people with me. They still won't repent. They're still just like, no, I don't care what you said. I don't care what I did. I'm not going to, I'm not moving at all on this. Then Jesus says, the church is so important. What you're doing here, Quaybog Church, is so important. It has eternal consequences. We are meant to be the hope of the world. We are meant to point people to Jesus Christ, the Savior. We are meant to be loving. Yes, full of truth, but also full of grace. And so we're supposed to be all these things. And he says that's in such an important mission that you can't let the toxicity of somebody's unrepentant sin destroy that. There's real community. There's life-changing community that I get to see at Quaybog. And I don't want to see that destroyed either by unrepentant toxic sin. And so what this means is a little unclear. Because Jesus at this point has only said church one other time in Matthew 16. And he said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. And not even the gates of hell are going to stand against it. But what is church? What does it look like? How do you structure it? That's the rest of the New Testament. Jesus doesn't really flesh it out much in this passage. So what does that mean? Well, that means the leaders of Equivog Church, if it gets to this point, we have to decide how are we going to bring that to the church. And we've had to do that a couple times in the 12 years that I've been here. And it's always really, really awkward. That is not something that church leaders want to do, to have to say, okay, we just want to let you guys know we got this major sin that's going on, and eventually if it doesn't work out, uh, we're going to have to kick the person out of our church. Like, that's not a cool conversation to have to have. But that's what Jesus is saying. Like, at some point, you've got to make it so where this person has nowhere to hide with the harm that they're doing to your church. This is not opinion. This is not, I don't like their style. This is somebody actively standing in a way that is hurting the church, and they're unrepentant about it. And so now we need to tell the whole church. And if that doesn't work, it gets even more nuclear. And then in the next verse, or part of the verse, if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. It's like, okay, so many of us, or some of us, may not even know what Gentile is. And tax collectors, yeah, we're still not huge fans of, right? But it's like, what does that mean? Well, back then, a Gentile was a non-Jew. So, man, they're separate, right? Like, they called them dogs, Uh, in that in that culture there so they were like whatever so if you're not jewish surprise you're a dog um that's how they would have viewed us and a tax collector was somebody that was an was an enemy of israel right they were collecting taxes on behalf of rome and rome was trying to wipe them out that's what they felt like they were just under the thumb of rome so both of these groups were not liked in any way shape or form and jesus is saying if you have somebody that toxic in your church you cannot let them be a part of public worship anymore like You cannot do that anymore because that is where their sin has gotten. It's starting to spread. It's starting to destroy what God is doing. However, what is the purpose? What did we say going to that person initially was for? Restoration. So all of these steps, all of these steps are meant to bring that person to a point of repentance, to stop doing the harm that they're doing, but it's also meant ultimately to restore relationship. Like, that's what we should be doing. And how we know that is how these verses end up playing out. So even though that's like the nuclear option of, oh, my gosh, you know, we got to kick this person out. Why, though? So what does this look like? So there's one example. There's several in the New Testament as they're working this process out. But there's one example I want to show that I think is interesting because it highlights what the purpose of going that far like going this far is like is really, really drastic. But what is the purpose and what should we do as Christians with this? Because some of us that grew up in a Catholic church would be like, oh, yeah, that's excommunication. I know what that is. But excommunication is like you're dead to me forever. 
right? Like you are never, ever going to be allowed around here anymore. And what is the purpose of this though? So in 1 Corinthians 5, let's just look at one example. We're not going to go here specifically, but in 1 Corinthians 5, there's this guy and he has committed a sexual sin that is so heinous that not even outsiders, not even non-Christians would be okay with this sexual sin. And so Paul is like, are you kidding me? You're doing it and celebrating it in this church. Like you're just, like you're just all about and you're, in, you're encouraging this person to be this way. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, you got to kick this person out of your church. Like their belligerent, unrepentant sin is wounding people in the church because the sin is being committed with other people likely in the church. So then you fast forward a little bit to a second letter though. And there's some debate on whether or not in this passage, which we'll read briefly, there's some debate on whether or not he's talking about that other event in this passage. So there are a little, there's some, I don't know, maybe, but if nothing else, they're very similar. The church as a whole has had to take action against some kind of issue that's gone on in their church. So let's look at what Paul advises for this person that appears to be repentant. So if anyone has caused pain, he's caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. This punishment by the majority, so again, is this this person that was kicked out in 1 Corinthians 5? This punishment by majority is sufficient for that person. As a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. So this seems like this person, whatever they've done, is repentant. So as a result, Paul says, you should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, verse 8, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Because what was the purpose of getting this person out? Ultimately, to restore them. Because here's what Jesus is getting at in, uh, in Matthew 18. You cannot resolve this issue with this person while they're going to your church. They're just continuing to cause harm, and you're not going to be able to handle this with them in your church. So therefore, you need to handle this with them outside of the church so they can stop doing harm in your church, but you are not going to become disconnected from them. You're not off the hook. They're not just out. They're not your enemy. We need to restore them. We need to seek to do that. And if they don't want to, that's on them. But ultimately, as Christians, there is a right and wrong way to do this. And our goal, our goal in interpersonal conflict and controversy should always be humility. It should always be restoration of the relationship. And it should always be that that person understands that even though they are doing this sin, whatever it might be, that we want to help them along in the process. But again, this is, this is somebody that sinned against you, right? So that also is a context we need to think about. They've done something personal to you. So we should do accountability, but it should be done with humility. It should be done with love and it should be done really in a way that points them to relationship with Christ. And so this passage here, I want to end with, because this is how Jesus ends this little talk here with his guys. And in verse 18, he says to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven, because they're in step with Jesus. So Depending on your denomination, depending on, you know, how you grew up, your religious, I don't know, whatever um, system you grew up in. But this verse, or ideas like this, have been used to, to leverage leadership against the people. As in, I am the only one that understands the will of God, so I will tell you what the will of God is. I will tell you if you've got God's forgiveness or not. 
right? That's been used over the years for a long time as a tool to twist into people. But all he is saying here to his disciples, not just one person, to his disciples, he's saying, look, if you're in step with me, you're going to know right and wrong. You're going to have some discernment, especially context when it comes to church discipline, when it comes to interpersonal conflict leaders, you will have discernment about the right thing to do, the right way to handle that. You'll know if you're in step with me, if you're listening to me, because it's going to be done with a love ethic and a truth ethic. And then verse 19, again, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, like church discipline, it will be done for you by my father in heaven. So I can't say, Jordan, man, let's start praying together about new trucks, bro. Because right here, Jesus tells us that if we get together and pray for anything, it will be done by our Father in heaven. So right after church, man, me and you, we're going to have, we're going to have blessings flowing, right? But again, this is another verse taken out of context because people will say, well, look right here. It just says, if we gather together and pray, it'll be done for us. He's talking about church discipline. That's the whole passage. This is why we can't take things out of context. He's saying, when you get together and you do it as I have told you to do it, centered around my love and about around my goal of restoration for that sinner, it's going to be different. And I will work in and through that. And then verse 19 leads into 20, another one taken out of context. For where two or three people are gathered together in my name for church discipline, I am there among them. Now, obviously, this is a broader principle that when we gather, we all have the spirit. So Jesus is among us. But you got to remember the context. He's trying to get people to understand if you are Christ-like in your approach to these really hard things, I will be there among you. And I will help you get through it. If you listen to me, if you seek me, and if you follow me, I will get you through it. That's what Christian community does. Because there's humility there. There's a, a, there's a seeking after of truth, but also ultimately restoration. It's not just about con- condemning somebody and making sure they know they sinned and they're a bad person. It's about, no, no, Jesus, I'm just as reliant to take us back to the beginning where we started. I'm just reliant on Jesus as that person is. I need his mercy and his grace just like this person does. So I'm going to approach their sin with, very, with a lot of humility and a goal of restoration. Like that's going to be my purpose. And if I do that, Jesus is going to be there, and he's going to help us do really difficult and hard things. That's the point of what we're talking about here, because it needs to be done with humility and the right kind of community. And then next week, we'll look at mercy. We're still going to be in Matthew 18 next week, but we're going to look at another key to handle really hard things, and that is mercy. That is leaning heavily into the mercy that God's given us so that we can give it to others. So let me pray. Lord, I, um, I pray that uh, right now that you would speak to us wherever we are with this. Um, Jesus, this is a difficult topic, Lord, and it's, it's one that comes up because it's life, Lord. Inevitably, we're going to come up against these things. And so I just pray as a church, Lord, that uh, as a community of believers, that uh, we would take your word seriously. That we would know that if we do it your way, Lord, that's the best path toward really getting what we want, and that's restoration. That's, that's repentance of sin. That's lives changed, Jesus. But we got to do it your way, and we got to do it with the Spirit of God guiding it, Lord. So would you help us to do that? Would you help us to keep our eyes on you to become more and more like you every day, Lord? I pray, Lord, also for um, just those of us here that are struggling, hurting, uh, that you would bring hope, restoration into our hearts. Lord, those that don't know you yet as Savior, Lord, I pray you'd move in a way that would uh, just allow them to take that step of faith to give you their lives because, Lord, your, your mercy is sufficient for us. What you did on the cross and through your resurrection is all we need for eternal life, Lord. And so I just pray, Lord, that you continue to, to stretch us, grow us, 
point us to you, Jesus. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. And his church said, amen. All right. It's messy, but it can be good. God bless you. Go be like Jesus. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.